everywhere. This is for you. Now entering the game for Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. It's Wednesday, January 15, 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim, Chet, Chesco. Hey, Chet, we need a two-hour show tonight. You know, I usually try to start off the show with some Philly sports highlights of the week, but tonight it's more like a punch list of things. There's so much going on. Joel Embiid has finger surgery. Carter Hart gets hurt in practice. He's now going to be out at least two or three weeks. Carson Walsh and Mike Groh are safe. Then they're fired the next day. Corey Unlin rumored to get fired. Then he's hired away as a D.C. Jadavion Clowney got no fine for the head-to-head on Carson Wentz, but Bill's Cody Ford was fined $28,000 for a blindside block. Odubel Herrera is released by the Phillies. Eagles great Harold Carmichael is in the Hall of Fame, but Coach Dick Vermeil is not, and neither is Al Wister. Brett Brown and Ben Simmons are both on the hot seat. Penn State football has hazing accusations. The Houston Astros are busted for cheating to win the 2017 World Series. Their management's fired. Alex Cora is fired for the same cheating to win the 2018 World Series for the Red Sox. He was part of that Houston team. Now, the new Mets manager, Carlos Beltran, he could be thrown in the mix, too. The LSU Tigers win the national championship. Andy Reid's Chiefs overcame a 24-point deficit to blow out the Texans. And the NFL officials still stink. And besides that, Chet, we have two great guests tonight, Bill Meltzer to talk Flyers and Kevin Riley to talk about a whole bunch of other topics. Where do you want to start? Sorry, Bill, but we're out of time. <laughs> uh, let's just blow off all that and talk about the other big news of the week, the Academy Award nominations, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees for this year, or another video of Kate Beckinsale showing off her flexibility. Just a thought, just a thought. Well, you, mentioned, you mentioned Andy Reid. Real quick, Andy still has a lot of supporters among Eagles fans, yet others are actively rooting against him for whatever reason. I just don't get it. No, I don't get it either, uh, you know, and, and how, how crazy was that game? You know, um, they, the Chiefs just fell apart. They were fumbling the ball, special teams, blunders, all kinds of stuff. They're down 24 nothing before you can blink. The good news for the Chiefs was a, there was a lot of football left, and they were back in what they had, 42 unanswered, I think, before they finally gave up a field goal and ended up blowing, blowing the Texans out. I was at my sister-in-law's on Sunday. I watched most of the first quarter. It was 24 nothing. I had to leave. I figured, well, the game's a blowout. Uh, poor Andy. I actually did some work outside because it was such a nice day up here on Sunday. Went back inside, saw that the Chiefs were ahead 34-24. I couldn't believe it. No, no. Hey, what about the NFL officials, Chet? We, we got to talk about this some more. Today, Van Clowney gets no uh, – no penalty, no fine, no nothing. It didn't even happen. But then they turn around, and that, that call on Cody Ford of the Bills crackback, or, you know, that they called it, blindside, which in my mind wasn't even a penalty to start with, not only did the penalty essentially cost the Bills an opportunity to win that game, now they're banging for 28 grand on top of it. 
let's just sum it up this way, Bill. As you said, the NFL officials still stink. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's talk hockey. Let's talk hockey because I'll tell you what, uh, the Flyers have given us a lot to talk about. As we said, they went out on that West Coast trip. They stunk it up out there. They bounced back against three really good teams and played real well, and now we have an injury to Carter Hart. And no one better to talk to about that than uh, our man, Bill Melser. Bill, welcome back. Hey, guys. How you doing tonight? Hey, doing Bill. Great. Bill, believe it or not, it's been almost a full year since we've talked to you here. You're a busy guy, so thanks for finding some time for us. Uh, first thing, yeah, something Bill and I talk about almost every week, the Flyers' fortunes at the Wells Fargo Center, they're darn good at home, versus on the road where they've really struggled most of the time. Similar situation with the 76ers, but that's a whole other story. We'll focus on the Flyers. So what is behind that, the Flyers struggling so much away from home? You know, the, I mean, there, there's a lot of things. It's not just one single thing. Um, you know, you can break down the numbers, slice and dice them in any number of ways you want to look at. But, I mean, a, a big part of it has been, bad starts on the road. Um, if you look at this last West Coast trip, they were giving up multiple goals early. I mean, any team can have a bad start in the game, but they were just burying themselves in games. And then you, know, you spend the rest of the game, rest of the night chasing the game. you got to take more risks. That invites more bad things to happen in the course of a game. Um, the Both ends of special teams, power play and penalty kill, have not been very good on the road. That's a big thing. Uh, some of it is just the, the, you know, the strangeness of the schedule this season. Um, uh, the the way that, uh, you know, like they, they start the season in Europe, and they come home for one game, and then they're in Western Canada for a trip, you know. Um, the, the 0-3 trip they had around the time the Oscar Lindblom news broke, that was not a very good trip for the team. Uh, I cannot explain what happened on the break after Christmas, although, you know, six games, those those are some winnable games in there and some teams that they ought to beat. And they, you know, they played terribly at home. It, at home it's easy to explain just because, They've been doing just the opposite. You know, if you look at their home goals against, it's second in the league, um, in the top five offensively in the league. So, you know, they're they're getting up on teams. They're they're getting good goaltending at home. They're getting good five-on-five and special teams play. Now, you know, usually there's a little bit of a discrepancy. Teams tend to be a little bit better at home on the road. Um, It's not typical for it to be this big of a discrepancy. I, I expect, and it needs to, for the Flyers to make the playoffs. I mean, if you look, you look where they are now, where they have, you know, one of the top three home records in the league, yet they're in the final wild card spot. You know, obviously they have to get a lot better on the road. That goes without saying. Um, I, I do think it should even out a little bit as the season goes along. They're not going to have any more of these really long road trips. So, you know, really tough test tonight in St. Louis. Um, they're playing great hockey. They're obviously the defending Stanley Cup champions. And, you know, they're another very tough team to beat in their building. They have a 10-game home winning streak going in. Um, so it's, uh, you know, Huge test tonight, but I, I think in the in the bigger picture here, um, Flyers are pretty well set up because a lot of these other teams are going to have, you know, a lot of the Flyers' toughest part of the schedule is out of the way now. Um, they do have a good record against the East, so we'll we'll see going forward. But it, you know, the way the way the league tends to be with so much parity, it's going to be it's going to be a tough battle right to the end for a playoff spot. Well, Bill, today the news broke that, uh, or yesterday, that Carter Hart left practice early. Today we find out he's got a lower abdominal strain type injury, which scares me because first thing I think is sports hernia. Uh, but it looks like he's going to be out a couple of weeks. Alex Lyon got the call. Um, how do you see this playing out? Is Lyon going to get time, or is Elliot going to be expected to carry the load here for the next few weeks till Hart can get back? 
Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for Ellie to get all the starts. Now, when Dave Haxall was the coach, there were stretches where um, you know he would go with a guy three times in four nights. It's really I, I that's never ideal. Um, Flyers are right back in action tomorrow playing Montreal, and then they play L.A. on Saturday. I, I would venture a guess that Alex Lyon is going to get one of those two games. I would say tomorrow against Montreal, then you come back with, with um, Elliott on Saturday, and then you have a game against Pittsburgh heading into the All-Star break. I mean, there's never a good time for an injury like the one that, that Hart has, but the, the good news, if there is any, is that the All-Star break in the bye week overlap with a lot of the time he's going to miss. So if it is two, you know, two, two and a half weeks, he might only miss a couple of games. So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's one, you know, that's one silver lining there. And the other thing too, is that, um, you know, last year, right before the stadium series, if you remember, he got injured. I, I think, I think it was a learning experience for him because that was an ankle, not, not a groin or core, core muscle injury, but, in that case, he didn't tell anybody for several days, and he ended up missing more time than he probably otherwise might have. Um, in this case, as soon as he felt some discomfort, he went off. Um, they did an MRI. According to what El um, Vigneault said earlier today, that the expectations should settle down in a few days, and it's just a question of, you know, you rest a little bit in the break, and then you, you work back. I would not be totally shocked if all goes well if he if he plays in the game on uh, on January 31st, although that's maybe pushing it, but he shouldn't be gone too much further than that. So, you know, there's, again, there's, there's never a good time for it. If he misses both Pittsburgh games, it's a tough time to be out, but it, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been one of those stretches where they're, you know, where they're playing five times in eight nights and then another busy week after that. So at least, uh, at least the break, you know, the, the break cuts the heart out of a lot of the time he's supposed to miss. So, you know, I said, you can kind of, you kind of look at a little silver lining there. And also, Elliot Elliot's mostly done the job this season too. He's fallen a little bit victim to you know, some of the road woes, but uh, you know he's he, he's a solid veteran goaltender, and you know the Flyers had a good tandem going. So I, I mean Elliot is a capable guy. I but I do think they'll give um, Lyon a spot start or two. Well, speaking of the guys who are out of the lineup, uh, Chuck Fletcher the other day mentioned that he does expect Nolan Patrick to play again this season, but he admitted that's just his speculation. Do you have anything new on Patrick's migraines and his prognosis? Uh, all I can add is that uh, Nolan has been uh, skating on his own. He's been working out with Angelo Ricci, who's the Flyers' skills coach. Um, Chuck had said yesterday that um, that Nolan's workouts have been longer. They've been, you know, more intensity. Uh, you know, he, he's only so far this season, though, he's only had one practice with the team, and that was in a no-contact jersey. Um, you know, we're, we're, more than, we're more than statistically halfway through the season, um, and, and the stretch drive begins in March. So you, know, you have to figure that he, if Nolan is well, um, you know, he's going to – he had no training camp this year, no anything really. So, you know, he'd have to have a, a couple of weeks of practices, and then, you know, he would need, a, he would need some kind of rehab stint with the, with the Phantoms, whether that's three games, four games. So, I, you know, I, I think the, you saw a little bit of runway here for him to come back this season. You're not going to start a guy, you know, well, well hopefully in the playoffs, but – you know, you're going to need a little work up to that. So, you know, if Nolan is better in the next couple of weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays. But I, but I think that, uh, you know, if we're still having this conversation in the middle of February, I mean, I wouldn't be optimistic at that point. My, my attitude is wait and see. Hey, Bill, with the moves today, the roster moves with, with Hart and Lyon and all that, the, the Flyers made a move where they 
blown Joel Farabee to the Phantoms. Were, were you surprised that it was Farabee? Um, he's a rookie, obviously. Uh, are they not happy with his play, or why, why was he the guy that was chosen to move down? Right. Well, I mean, Joel's been struggling a bit offensively, but he, he wouldn't he wouldn't have been the choice. It just it worked out. It worked out this way. So sending him down as a paper move, uh, they waived they waived Chris Stewart today. Tomorrow, Chris Stewart will clear. Tomorrow, they can get the cap relief. Send Chris Stewart to the Phantoms. Call Joel Farabee back up. Uh, Joel did not fly back to go to Allentown or anything like that, so I expect him to be uh, called up. Uh, in go. terms of tonight's game, um, Connor Bunneman plays center, whereas um, you know they really they only have they don't have four healthy centers right now. So if Bunneman was sent down, then you have to move Michael Roffel back from left wing to center. You have to change two or three lines to accommodate all the juggling. This way, all you're doing is almost like scratching Farabee for one game and, and playing Chris Stewart for one game. You know, one lineup change, one guy in, one guy out. Tomorrow, tomorrow Farabee probably comes back up. That's really all it was. Well, speaking of the cap, the Flyers do have limited cap space. Uh, what might that mean regarding trades, and what are you expecting to do before the February 24th trade deadline? Yeah, as you said, it, it does make it very tough, unless there's some injury where you can make use of some of the long-term injury reserve space. There's really not much they can do. I mean, just to get uh, just to get Alex Lyon up, um, you know, they only had 500000 in cap space, and the minimum salary in the league is 700000 That's why they had to do the, this little bit of uh, roster maneuvering just to be able to get the goalie to, uh, to St. Louis for tonight. Um, you know, unless a guy gets moved, a, a Shane Goss fair kind of player, and then you maybe bring in a forward is very, it is very hard to do something. So uh, I'm not expecting the Flyers to be able to do very much, um, you know, unless, unless something were to happen that, that would open up some cap space. Otherwise, it, otherwise it just isn't there. And you're looking, you know, more and more in the off season, I would think. Good stuff, Bill. Hey, uh, I did want to ask you also, what, uh, what was your take and what's, what do you think the team's take was on Morgan Frost? It made it kind of a quick impact for a couple of games, struggled a bit after that. Now he's back down in the minors. Uh, is, is Frost got a chance to be what we all are hoping that he could be? Sure. Um, you know, he's only, he's only 20 years old. I'm not only not that many months older than, than Joe Farabee. Um, you know, Morgan has just – there's just some details in his game. Um, to me, the number one thing with Morgan is that for a guy who, who won the top skater competition, the top prospect a couple of years ago, and I mean with, with the puck and without the puck, sometimes Morgan doesn't look very fast. Um, and that's because he doesn't move his feet consistently enough sometimes. Playing with that pace, that NHL pace, at jun- in the junior hockey level, he could play at any, any pace he wanted to because he's smarter and more skilled than the other players. That's a big adjustment playing to the pro level. That's where I noticed the biggest drop-off when Morgan kind of hit the wall a little bit with the Flyers. Um, you know, I, I, did, I thought that the, the pace that he was playing slowed down. Um, it's not just a question of snapping your fingers and bringing it back up. You kind of resort to what's comfortable to you. And then there are other details, too. Um, you know, I think he has the makings of being a, being a good all-around player. Um, the defensive side of his game at the pro level does have to, does have to get refined a little bit. And just 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 the general kind of things. I mean, it's it's no you know. I, I think that I think there were enough flashes in his uh, I think 18 games with the team. You go, you know you're gonna you projected a year out, two years out. You know he'll he'll be just fine. Same same thing with Joel Farabee. I mean, listen, Joel has three goals this season. 
You know, I would be very surprised if a year or two from now, by late January, he's got three goals in an NHL season. It's just, just all the typical ups and downs that rookies go through. Um, you know, you, you see with any number of young players, they're the first year, first year or two in the league. And I, and I do think ultimately Morgan will be fine. Bill, I looked at the Phantoms stats the other day, and I saw that their leading scorers are Greg Carey, who's almost 30 years old, and Mikhail Vorobiev, who we are, we've already seen him with the Flyers. Uh, Morgan Frost back there again, as you guys just discussed. Uh, are there any other Phantoms who could help the big club in the not too distant future? Uh, you know, they have a they do have a, a young team. Um, you know, they have. I, I don't think that uh, Isaac Ratcliffe, for example, has has improved at the pace that they were hoping he would. Um, a lot of times, big forwards take longer to develop than, than you you know than certain other players. I, I think down the line, I still think Isaac's going to be a pretty good player. Um, you know, it's kind of an in-between stage because Farabee is up with the big team and, and uh, Phil Myers is up with the big team. Uh, you know, at least at least right now, Mark Friedman is on recall. He's not going to be a top end of the blue line guy, but he's the guy who might be able to help a little bit. Um, uh, German Rubsov had had a shoulder injury earlier this year that I think has set him back a bit. I think he's a guy who might play in the NHL at some point. So, you know, uh, in terms of, like, the real top-end stars, um, you know, I, I like uh, I like the guy they picked in the first round this past year, Cam York, a very skilled defenseman. Uh, he'll probably need another year of college and then a year in the American League before potentially being ready for the NHL. But, I mean, I think most of the guys that the with the high-end prospects, other than Frost being, you know, back with the fans at this point, they're in the NHL at this point, and, and you're trying to develop them. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's no, there's no two ways around how hard a guy like Oscar Lindblom is to, to replace in a team's lineup. And it's not just for the goals, but he's also a penalty killer. He's also really good in the forecheck, really sound in his own end of the ice. You know, young kid, just turned 23 years old. And, I mean, we're all just, just hoping, you know, we're all just hoping Oscar's okay, you know, and, and he, he can – uh, achieve remission and live a long, healthy life. Hockey really isn't, uh, you know, front of mind right now. But from a hockey point of view, I mean, they lost a very important player who's, who's tough to replace. And, you know, they have the situation with Nolan Patrick. This would have been his, his third NHL season. You know, it, it takes takes guys a few years, a few years pro a lot of times to kind of hit their stride. And, you know, and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully uh, Nolan Patrick will be back soon. And, and we're all hoping that Oscar comes back at some point. But those are, those are holes in the lineup, and unfortunately, they don't have anybody that's immediately ready to plug in. It's certainly, you know, it certainly is a setback. I don't think there's any any two ways around that, um, you know. And in the long term, we'll, we'll see who steps up, and we'll see if you know they have to look elsewhere in the off season. But uh, for the for the rest of the season, I think kind of what you see on the NHL roster is they're gonna have, that's gonna have to be the group to do it. Well, that leads me right into what I was going to ask you, Bill. Tonight is game 47, so we're already past the halfway mark. Uh, we're fighting for that wild card spot. Four teams pretty much right on top of each other. Uh, does this team have the juice to to pull in that first or second wild card spot? I, I think that they do. Um, if you look at, you know, I, I think when you, I, in some ways, it helped the Flyers that Tampa Bay finally made their move, so they're not fighting in that that under the playoff line spot. I mean, it's really going to be it's really going to be the Flyers battling with. Um, Florida probably, maybe mm-hmm. Columbus. Although I don't think Columbus is going to hang into the end. I don't think the Rangers are good enough yet. I know the Devils. You know they kind of pulled the plug in their GM and they're they're retooling. So really, I think really I think it's Flyers and Florida, 
Um, and I, I still think Carolina's going to get in, even if they were to drop a spot to eighth. But I think it's kind of a really kind of a two-team race to get in. Um, and I, I think the Flyers, um, you know, have the ability to do that. Uh, what I think is going to be tougher coming into the season, I thought, okay, this team could make a move and be a team that could win a round or maybe even two rounds of things break right in the playoffs. It's going to be tough. They're, they're, I think they're back to being kind of on that bubble team level. And then you just, you know, you just hope you get the goaltending in a playoff series. I mean, that's kind of, kind of where they're at right now. But I, I think they can still get in the playoffs for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, final thing from me. We know you're involved with the Flyers alumni. I know the annual Lehigh Valley Winter Classics taking place on the 25th in Bethlehem Municipal Ice Rink up there. Uh, proceeds benefiting the local Lehigh Valley Polar Bears team of the American Special Hockey Association. Anything else to add about that or any other alumni events coming up that uh, you might want to mention? Um, yeah, actually, we do have a, a pretty big uh, alumni event coming up in March. We're finalizing the details on We did it last year as well. Uh, Friday Night Fights. Um, which they bring back a collection of, of flyers and NHL tough guys from the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, this year, this year we have a, a special cause we're fighting for. We'll, uh, you know, we'll have more, more announcements in that regards in the, in the, uh, you know, in a week or so, but uh, yeah, that, that that's a very exciting thing coming up also. And the uh, flyers warriors, um, which the flyers alumni are very involved in the, the flyers warriors, um, team as many may know they're a uh, they're a team of uh, disabled veterans and uh, I we, Brad Marsh is the, is the coach of the Flyers Warriors and again the, the Flyers alumni have a, a pretty close connection with them um, next month the Flyers Warriors are going to be playing the um, Flyers youth special hockey team they also have a special fundraising event called Pints and Pucks coming up so if you uh, keep an eye on the uh, Flyers alumni Twitter page which is at Flyers alumni we'll have all of that news coming up excellent all right, Bill, I have one last thing for you before we wrap it up. I, you mentioned the Oscar Lindblom uh, situation, and, we, you know, we, we all pretty much know how that's going. But the uh, the reaction of the National Hockey League, to me, has just been fabulous. Um, the support that's come from all the other teams and, and all that. What, what was your take on that? Uh, it, it's out, It's been outstanding. Just Just very, very moving, the way that the whole hockey community has come together. The way that uh, Flyers fans, even non-Flyers fans, have, have uh, shown their support and their love for Oscar—it's been, uh, you know, it, it's been a wonderful thing to see. I'm sure you've heard about, you know, Kim Perron's, uh Oscar Strong shirt said that all the money goes to hockey fights cancer, and it's just been, you know, just the outpouring of support. I mean, I know Oscar a little bit from dealing with him around the Flyers. He's he's a tremendous kid. I mean, you wouldn't wish this on anybody, regardless. But Oscar's just just a great, great guy, and uh, you know, I. I know how much he appreciates it. I know how much the Flyers appreciate it. So, you know, keep it up. It can only help. All right. Well, Bill, before we let you go, you want to let the listeners know how they can follow you. You've got a lot of uh, social media stuff going on, and obviously you're full of good information. Sure. Uh, well, you can uh, find me uh, most days of the week writing something for the Flyers official website, flyers.nhl.com. Chris Terrian and I host a, a podcast on, on Flyers Radio 24-7. Our next one will be tomorrow. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Bill Meltzer. Very good. Well, Bill, appreciate you coming by and taking a minute out of your very busy schedule and go Flyers. Thanks, My Bill. pleasure, guys. Anytime.
All right, let's take a break right now to talk about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne. A fantastic menu, terrific variety of food to consider, from wings and sandwiches and the chef's killer burgers to great entrees like grilled salmon, baby back ribs, and filet mignon. Always 24 beers on tap. Lunch, dinner, and happy hour specials, too. The Rover has a DJ every Friday night and live bands Saturday nights. This weekend, it's the band Shameless. Coming up on Tuesday the 21st, it's another paint party at the Irish Rover. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good! Yes, it is good, Chet, but I'll tell you what, the findings in Major League Baseball with the Astros and the Red Sox is crazy. A lot of people losing their jobs. Players have immunity. That's kind of crazy. And this may even carry over now to the Mets as well with Carlos Beltran. Uh, Is this an overreaction by Major League Baseball or the right punishment? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it's clear that there was sign-stealing going on, and given the seriousness of it and the fact that it was you know, happening during the World Series, MLB had to hand out severe punishment, so probably not an overreaction. And, of course, Alex Cora was named numerous times as being a guilty party while serving as the Astros bench coach in 2017. Then he takes over the Red Sox and is facing similar allegations, so he's out of work now. The Red Sox, I think, certainly did the right thing in parting ways with Cora before MLB even ruled on him. In all seriousness, though, why is it so wrong to steal signs, Bill? I mean, the batters still have to hit, and the players still need to make the play. So why is it such a crime to steal signs in baseball? Well, I'm going to tell you, Jet, uh, as you know, I coached high school baseball for a bunch of years. We we tried to steal signs every game. Sure. Uh, we We had guys on the bench, and we had a coach, and, you know, we were always trying to steal signs, and we knew they were trying to steal ours. So <laughs> that part isn't really the issue, I don't think, as much as the fact that you used a electronic version that the other team didn't have access to. I think that's right. really more the issue than, than stealing signs. Yeah, so yeah. I, I really think that's probably the deal. And uh, that's why I'm not quite so sure about the overreaction. Um is it cheating? Um, I guess it is when it, it created an unfair advantage. Yeah, and plus there are strict rules against doing that that way, so it, it is cheating. Um, now, my question, in light of the situation and the fact that MLB isn't taking away the Astros World Series title, does the Pete Rose Hall of Fame ban now have a shot at being lifted? Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no. Um, yeah, probably not. Probably not, and and that's because it's betting. You know, it was betting. It was a different deal. Um, but there, there's a whole lot more that's going to come out on this uh, on this deal oh, yeah. with the Astros. And what's interesting, and I only heard a little bit of it today because guys are starting to really dive into the books. But the home home versus road splits on these hitters, and Brian McCann was one, and I want to say that he hit like. 037 on the road and 300 at home in the World <laughs> Series because you know what pitches yeah. were coming, you know. Uh, uh-huh. So I mean, it, it's really a big deal, and it, it's going to be a big deal too, uh, especially if Beltran gets caught in this with the Mets. 
he was a key player in the whole deal uh, with the Astros, but he had immunity because he was a player. Well, he's not a player now. He's a manager, and he's representing a ball club, uh, but his name's floating out all over there. So um, that, it's really it's really kind of an interesting deal. And as you said, he might be out of a job before he gets to manage his first game, so keep an eye on that. Yep. Well, hey, we've got a ton of football to talk about with Eagles, coaches firing, Dick Vermeil being snubbed by the Hall of Fame, Harold Carmichael getting in the Hall of Fame, the clowning debacle, Andy Reid's Chiefs. Um, nobody better to talk about on all this than our good friend Kevin Riley. So, Kevin, welcome back to Philly Press Box Radio. we got a lot of football to talk about. Oh, Chet and Bill, it's unbelievable. You know, the season's almost over, and uh, the Eagles aren't even in the hunt. But I don't remember a time when there's been so much talk about, you know, what's going on with the team at this current time. And don't forget, how about my good friend and teammate, Harold Carmichael, getting (laughs) into the NFL Hall of Fame. What took so long? Well, I knew you were going to mention that, and so I put that very first on my list. Let's talk about the news of the day, Kevin, the terrific news this morning about Harold, your old teammate and friend all these years later. He's finally going to Canton. What was your reaction when you heard the news this morning, and what are your memories of playing with Harold? Oh, I couldn't have been happier for him. I, I had trouble getting through to him, as you can imagine. If his voicemail was filled, but he did get back to me just about an hour ago. I left him a text message, and... You know, as good as a football player, he's a Hall of Fame football player, but he's a Hall of Fame human being, too. And that's that's one of the things that, um, you know, you guys have seen uh, from the Vermeil tournament, these guys that come back. It was a brotherhood back then. We didn't make a lot of money. Nobody got traded very often. There wasn't free agency. So, you know, you were with guys for three or four years. You got to know them intimately. And, and Harold was one of the really good guys. Uh, one of the things that I don't think people know about him is we had an off-season basketball team that played for charities, and they put a couple bucks in our pocket. It was run by Otho Davis and the, and the trainers. One year we had a schedule of 35 games. But I want to tell you, Harold could have played college basketball. He had the 6'8 frame. He had a nice soft touch. He could dunk the, foot, the basketball, good dribble. He was a good athlete overall. And I'll tell you something else. You know, I practiced against him. I was on the, uh, you know, the uh, practice team's defense playing second-string linebacker. And so we'd get down the gold line, and I'd get to cover him from time to time and really give him a hard time, you know, um, be a little physical with him. But if they threw the ball to the corner of the end zone, there was nobody going to get it except Harold. And it would work could be incomplete. It was just a no-brainer for Ron Jaworski to try that pass down in the red zone. And even when they double-teamed him, he could usually go up and get the ball. Tremendous athlete, tremendous human being, could not be happier for the guy. Well, Kevin, on on, an, on the flip side, Coach Vermeil gets left out along with a veteran that I was hoping for uh, because I'm an old dinosaur. Al Wistert got left out as well. And uh, I'm, I'm as sad for Coach Vermeil as I am happy for Harold Carmichael. Yeah, you know, um, I am too. And, you know, if if they go on statistics, you could probably say he's on the borderline. But when you think about the teams that he took over that were in total disarray and how in two years he had them up competing and then going to the playoffs, there's something to said about a coach that will get players to lead him 
lead him, even when he's very, very tough on him. But that's because the coach always said, people don't care about how much you know until people know about how much you care. And I can tell you to this day, he still calls the players that he, he coached or going tough times or just to say hello or whatever. He is a guy that cared. And that's why he brought out the very, very best in players, which I think is the epitome of coaching and leadership. Being able to be, you know, a tough taskmaster, holding people responsible to their duties, but also caring about them as human beings. And I think you guys know from the jobs that you had, you had some bosses that, you know, you'd go through a wall for. Then you had some bosses that if something went wrong, you kind of giggled behind your back if it wasn't your fault. So, you know, um, I feel really bad for him. He deserves it, um, especially, you know, the time and effort. No, nobody put more time and effort back in that day into it. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine, so I'm totally biased about this. But I would have loved to see him get in there, and that is a disappointment. Well, hopefully it will happen in the next few years. All right, let's talk about the just-ended Eagles season, Kevin. Uh, an unfortunate ending to the year. Now, given the several guys who underperformed and the fact that a number of guys are clearly past their prime, how different will the Birds' 2020 roster be compared to that of this past season? Well, you know, that's a good question. I think you might get an indicator from what's happened to the coaching staff so far. Um, you know, we did not expect to see Grow be released. I, I didn't know that much about the wide receivers coach, Wallace. But, um, you know, those two guys to be let go uh, that early, and I don't think it's, you know, it's over yet. Uh, uh, we'll see what happens with Schwartz. He's still got some irons in the fire to be head coach somewhere. But I think that, you know, um, Doug's in his, in his fourth year now, and he's got a good idea of what he needs uh, on that team to make, to make it work. And, you know, there's also at this time of year, you get guys demoted, you get guys fired who might have, you know, really good relationships and might come down to be an offensive coordinator. I, I, would, I would venture to say that it won't be somebody that we don't know that gets the offensive coordinator job with Doug. So there's some, you know, things going on there, but you simply have to take a look. And this even happened during the Super Bowl year that they had. You have to take a look, you know, at uh, – some of the guys are up there in age. I mean, Darren Sproles is not going to be a factor coming back next year. I think Jason Peters' career is pretty much over. Um, he may try to play with another team. You know, Jason Peters, the big thing about him, at 60%, he's as good as anybody at left tackle in the league. But I think he's really diminished, you know, with, with the injuries he's had and the age that he's got in the last two years. But he's still getting the job done. And then we'll see what happens, you know, on the positive end of it. I, I really believe this guy, Greg Ward, did everything in the world to be a member of that team next year, maybe as the third uh, receiver. And people want to know, you know, how'd that guy do it? Well, when he was a Houston quarterback, he wasn't really big enough to play quarterback in the NFL, but he was a winner. And, you know, quarterbacks have to have a certain amount of confidence in their abilities. And sometimes they just don't believe they can't do anything. And I think this guy just really, really worked at being a wide receiver. And he was clutch in the last couple of games that he played with. Rarely did he drop a pass. His pass routes got better. He can run for, you know, some yardage after the catch. But he made some really crucial plays and, and um, didn't seem to show, you know, any, uh, you know, 
any nervousness at all as, as a, you know, a guy coming up from what I call the taxi team or the squat, the practice squad, he looked like he belonged. So you're going to see some people that really came along. I also think that Sanders, the more reps that he got, the better he got. And I think he's going to really uh, blossom next year, getting the reps that he got this year. Uh, the biggest thing I think they've got to do, I think they're pretty healthy at defensive backs. I think they've got to get some linebackers, though. Those linebackers got really beat up this year, and, you know, they weren't exactly any all-pro candidates in that cast. So I think they've got to be really looking hard there. Um, defensive line, I think we're pretty good. Probably have to pick up somebody offensively uh, on the offensive line just as backup people. But I don't see any major changes beyond that unless, you know, some free agents decide to skip town. I'd love to see him hold on to Malcolm Jenkins. I'm a big believer in that guy. That guy, he just goes out and does it every week, and he gives you your best. You can think what you want about his political standings and all that kind of stuff, but when he's on the football field, man, I'd want him in my, uh, you know, in, in, in my foxhole any day. Well, hey, Kevin, I'm going to load you up with a couple tough questions all wrapped up in one. Uh, we, I, we certainly want to get your take on the Davey and Clowney hit no fine head-to-head on Carson Wentz. But along with that, I want to throw in, what, what's your take on just overall NFL officiating? Because I am well on the record that it's stinks. Well, I, I'm with you. I've, I've been saying this for 15 years since I was broadcasting with the Eagles. I don't know how, I really don't know how, in all honesty, you can have a multi-billion dollar organization like the NFL and not have full-time referees. Now, I get the arguments back that they say, well, how much better could they get? Hey, if they got 10% better, that would be a lot. You know, you got guys that are dentists and lawyers, they got their hands in people's mouths during the week, and how much film do they really watch? You know, and, and how dedicated are they to the game as, you know, a career rather than I like being seen like Mr. Hockley on TV. You know, they should be um, unknown characters, and I've never seen more referees get more recognition for their names for being out there. To the point where you have crews now that the Eagles and all the other NFL teams they now get a scouting report on this team calls more holding than this team calls more offside. This team calls, you know, more uh, illegal hits. Well, you know, that's not good. You've got to be consistent. If you take a look at, you know, what I think Major League Baseball, especially with this, you know, um, animated strike zone they have, you can see these guys are pretty consistent, you know, with their calls. And I think that they've got to pay these guys full salaries They've got to be full-time members. They've got to be held accountable. And, you know, they've got to be more consistent. And I don't know how you can get away with having part-time people in one of the most important jobs in a billion-dollar organization. The other thing I think, well, what would they do in the offseason? Hey, have them go around to the colleges and the high schools and, you know, talk to the kids about, you know, officiating, what's legal. Let's make this a safer sport. They could be great ambassadors, you know, for teaching not teaching, but telling people, you know, what will be called and won't be called on targeting and things like that. I think some of the ball players are actually trying to do a better job, you know, with targeting and things like that, with the exception of uh, your second part, your first part of the question, Clowney. 
Clowney has been considered a dirty ball player for a couple of years now. And, you know, there's just some guys that are mean people. And I just think he's a mean guy. That was a calculated hit that he took on the quarterback. Um, He, you know, looked like he actually drove himself into him. And if you remember a couple years ago, he uh, was, he got, he got uh, a penalty for a late, late hit on Nick Foles, which Jason Peters came to his, came to his uh, aid. And, you know, it's really funny too. It's kind of like, the bully. As soon as Jason Peters got there, you never saw a guy like Clowney back up so much in your life. Right. He wasn't going to mess with Jason Peters. So, it, you know, I do college football. I do the Villanova football. Um, the, the, the referees that are in college would have called that targeting, and the penalty would have been you're thrown out of the game. See, that resonates. You know, when he gets thrown out of the game, these guys mm-hmm. can pay their fines now. 15 yards, it might be worth it to put a good guy out. You don't want to be missing for the rest of the game. So, I, I, guys, I agree with both of you. They've got to make full-time referees, and they've got to get a handle on those guys getting better, even if it's only 10%. Yep, I'm with you. Hey, Kevin. One, other, one other thing I want to yeah. say. they got to get younger. You look yeah. at these guys on the soccer fields that are referees yeah. and stuff, they're in their 30s and 40s. They can run. They can see. They're quick. <laughs> We got these guys here, 65 years old. I should talk. I'm older than that right now, but they can't be moving, you know, and seeing over these big bodies. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, Kevin, especially considering what happened with the Eagles' wide receivers over this past year, losing all three of them, what did we learn about Carson Wentz over the course of this season and especially over the final month? Well, the final month, I just think that guy really sat down with himself and said, I'm just going to let it go. You know, I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to throw the balls. I'm going to trust these young guys. What do I got to lose? And he threw some balls into some pretty small windows. If you guys, I know you guys were watching. And guys made yep. the catches. And, uh, you know, I just really think that he was pressing way too hard. And when he got to the point there really wasn't nothing to lose and a lot to gain, uh, he let the game come to him instead of him trying to carry it on, on his back. That's my own observation. I don't know if any of the coaches would agree with me on that, but that's what it seemed like happening. And you know, once you start trusting those guys, uh, you build their confidence up too. And I think that happened also. Hey, Kevin, I wanted to ask you. I don't know how much you've been following this baseball situation and uh, and guys cheating and being called cheating and firing and everything else, but. I want to ask you, as a as a former professional athlete who prepared every week to win the game, um, what would your take be if you found out that the that your opponent actually had a competitive advantage that you didn't have by some unknown source? Does that uh, are you able to shake that off, or is that something as a former athlete that just really makes you not happy? Uh, we. I can I can name an instance and a and a coach who did that on a regular basis back in the day, and his name was George Allen. Okay, we had practice one time at the vet, and they knew that he had had people, you know, sneak in the stadiums to watch practice and stuff, and so we had extra security on one day at practice, not thinking much about it. One of the security guys uh, spotted a guy with a hard hat on, 
with a movie camera up in like the 600 level of the vet. And he was chased out of the vet, disappeared. They never did catch him, but they believe he was sent by George Allen. Uh, a more specific situation is teams back in my day, and I think they still do it, they routinely used to exchange films. It just saved money. You know, why should I be doing the same game you, you do? I'll do it if I have to, but let's just uh, have a gentleman's agreement and exchange films. So I'm playing special teams, and Dick LeBeau is our special teams coach, and you get the special teams real on about Tuesday, first day of real serious practice. And we're watching this thing, and all of a sudden, LeBeau figures out that it's the game from last year. And it's not from last year, meaning not even the last couple of weeks where people are playing it. He noticed a couple guys that were that are no that retired that were no longer in uniform were on the field. (laughs) Um, They called up. You know, he was livid. I never saw Dick get a mad. He was livid because everybody knew George's reputation. They called up and he said, "Oh, a mistake. Sorry about that. Uh, You'll get the film by Thursday. You know, by Carrier Pigeon." So, you know, just put us behind, um, you know, two days on things like that. But, boy, George was pushing the envelope all the time, and some of it was cheating, and some of it was just, you know, as Coach Vermeil and I had a discussion about it, um, he said, you know, the coach, a lot of coaches push, push the envelope, you know, they see what they can get away with. But um, there's a certain area we across the line, and, God, you know, Film in practice uh, before the Super Bowl, which I think New England did in the Eagles' first Super Bowl down in Jacksonville. I think that actually happened, and I think some other things happened. But players don't take that lightly. It's cheating. <laughs> it's not like cheating maybe on your wife but, or, or having to find out your wife cheating on you, but I'll tell you, it makes some guys really damn mad in the, in the uh, locker room when they find out this stuff that's going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Kevin, uh, before we let you go, I want to mention your book again, Tackling Life, which you wrote in 2017, but have since updated a slightly revised edition in the wake of that little Super Bowl title that the Eagles earned two years ago. Uh, you were kind enough to give me a copy last year, and I did read the new stuff. And I'll say it again, congrats. It is a great read, which everyone should check out. Kevin Riley's Tackling Life. Yeah, the, you know, the, it, in this wild technology world, uh, I went to a hard cover. We sold out the first 3,500 copies, and so I got 5,000 more copies, made it hard copy. I uh, mentioned some names in there that, you know, I kind of missed along the way, and I felt bad. You know, some guys love to see that you played with their names and ink. And then uh, I, I just had to do um, a, 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 an additional chapter after the epilogue because it was, you know, it's really in my, in my life, but in 60 days, Philadelphia Eagles, the team of my heart, won a Super Bowl. And within that same 60-day period, the Villanova Wildcats won a national championship. Mm. And here's the crazy thing about it. Is I said, boy, these teams had a lot in common. They were underdogs. They circled the wagon. Their coaches were real uh, player-oriented guys, tough but player-oriented. Um, there was a brotherhood among the team. Uh, when people got hurt, it was next man up. And so I'm, I said, man, there's so many things that they had in common. And I'm trying to pull it together with a put a bow on it as I'm getting to the end of the chapter. And it dawns on me. And I get on Google, 
and I had a question in my mind, and I go, could it be? Could it be that Nick Foles was the only second-string player to ever get an MVP in the National Football League Super Bowl? Yes, that's true. Could it be that Dante DiVincenzo came off the bench and was the only second-string um, guard in NBA, in, you know, in NCAA history? Yes. So here you have two guys that were second-string ball players in the epitome of man-up come in and help their teams win a championship. But what that really says is you've got to have teamwork to do that. And when nobody cares who gets the credit, it's amazing what we can do when we pull together. Absolutely. All right, Kevin. Well, we uh, are out of time, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Always great stuff, good insight, as always. And, hey, I, I sent you a text message since we're now neighbors. We'll have to uh, – Yeah, well, uh, I, you know, I, when you get up here, I'll have to show you all the haunts. Make all sure right. you don't get lost. All Remember right. this, Bill. Remember this, it's a small world, and Delaware's even smaller. you got to watch this, don't you? <laughs> I hear you. Hey, if you All stay right, out guys, of trouble, you're in good shape. All right, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. All right, bye-bye. All right, hey, Chet, did you know that 56% of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave LaVoy from Allstate and Westchester, PA. Yep, the same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal and then show you the right financial solutions to help get you there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoy in Westchester. It's 610-430-0700 and start planning for your retirement today. Again, the number is 610-430-0700. And, Bill, we're not retiring just yet, but further evidence that we are getting old. The first album by The Pretenders came out 40 years ago. Take it away, Bill. I thought you were going to do something with referees, that they were pretenders. (laughs) Good idea. (laughs) Hey, it's time to make our picks. We're going to welcome our man, Fred. You go back to Philly Press Box Radio. Fred, no music tonight, but welcome back. What's up, guys? Hey, oh, it's all good, man. We're action packed tonight. We got a full well, we got a full load going on. <laughs> I see, I see. I hear I yeah. should say. Yeah, well hey, we, we started with a fresh slate for the playoffs, Chet. Uh how are we doing? I I can't even keep track. Well, what a turnaround after going 0-4 in wildcard weekend. Our pal Fred made a complete reversal this past weekend, notching a perfect four and record. Yeah, he even picked the wow. Titans to upset the Ravens. Bill? You were three and one. I was two and two. But because I had a great first weekend here in the postseason, I'm still on top at five and three. You guys are now both four and four. So still anybody's game, very close, but only three games left. Yes, it was. And uh, Fred, uh, good good pick on the Titans. That was good. You even got quoted on uh, on Facebook for one great <laughs> uh, comment you made. Quote of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't see I didn't see the quote on Facebook. I got to look. Oh, buddy Joe, yep. Joe Bonder. Cool. All right. So Joe Bonder, he's a man. It's yep. championship weekend. The Sunday, 305 game is the Titans at the Chiefs. Chiefs minus seven and a half. The 640 game is the Packers at the 49ers. The Niners are minus seven and a half. So, Fred, let's get it started. Titans at the Chiefs. Chiefs minus seven and a half. 
Chiefs had a scare last week. I'm really rooting for Andy here, but I I just I feel like Vrabel's got it going on, man. I I think the uh, the Titans win in KC. Wow, I had a hunch you were going to do that, and I thought about picking Tennessee also because I mean, let's face it, Andy Reid has a little bit of a not so great reputation in these championship games. He's one and five, but I think that scare may have uh, you know knocked some sense into him and. He's going to be ready. He's going to have his team ready. I'm taking the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs too, Fred. And uh, and and I don't think this one is going to be close because I think Spagnola is going to make Tannehill beat them. They're not going to let Derrick Henry run for 180 yards like a madman. Uh, they're going to make him earn those yards. This is going to be Tannehill to have to beat the Chiefs. I don't think he can do that. So I'm going Chiefs. Packers at 49ers. Niners minus seven and a half, Fred. I've been riding the Niners all year, and uh, but I, I'm not going against Rodgers. I, I think he's due for another Super Bowl. He wants another one on that resume. I'm going to take the Packers to upset the 49ers. Really? Whoa. <laughs> i got to cross that out. I wrote down San Fran because, as you said, you've been riding them all year. Green Bay, huh? <laughs> well, you I convinced just, me going with my 49ers. <laughs> Yeah, okay. You convinced me the 49ers are for real, and I'm still not sold on Green Bay. I know they were 13-3. I know they held off Seattle. I picked the Seahawks last week. But I'm taking San Fran because I'm a believer now in the 49ers. Yeah, I am too. I'm going 49ers. Uh, I don't usually go against Aaron Rodgers either, but the 49ers are playing great ball, and they're at home. I'm going 49ers. And one little tidbit real quick. Did you know, I heard this on the radio today, that Aaron Rodgers, for all his greatness that he's considered and this and that, has only ever won one Super Bowl, only ever been to one Super Bowl. How about that? Just seems yeah, like he's been playing yeah, that, forever. That That's what made me feel like, it, for some reason, he's right there. This is his opportunity to get another one under the belt. That's why I'm picking him. All right. So, hey, we also picked the national championship game. You both took LSU. I took Clemson. The game certainly didn't disappoint, except the refs stunk up in that game, too. Uh, quick thoughts on that game, Fred? Oh, it was real exciting, especially Clemson coming out and, and getting the lead and looking like, oh, man, the, the champs are here. But then LSU is just – the refs are the refs. I, they, they're terrible everywhere. But the LSU's offense still is just so phenomenal. And eventually they got it – figured it out and they got it going. Yeah, very impressive. I think Joe Burrow is going to be one of those Heisman quarterbacks who's actually a pretty darn good pro. He just looks really, really good. Yeah, the unfortunate thing for Joe is he's going to have more talent at LSU than he's going to have in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, So that's going to be tough for Joe. And I hated it for the kid that got thrown out of his last game for targeting. Yeah. Man, the kid's just playing. You know, there wasn't right, no, that was horrible. About that. All right. Well, Fred, hey, we appreciate you coming by quick tonight. Uh, we want to give the listeners a quick rundown real quick. Just find me at Facebook, Fred Hugo, and uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Fred Hugo underscore. All right, my man. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Fred. See you guys. Later. All right. Hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. 
And hey, Chet, great guests again tonight, and Bill and Kevin, and you're raising the bar again for next week. So who do you have coming to Philly Press Box Radio? Well, Bill, last week we had the great Ray Didinger on with us, and next week we're going to have his longtime WIP radio partner joining us for a fourth time to talk all things Philly sports, maybe a little beer talk too. Glenn Mack now joins us live next week. Oh, that'll be good. Always good. How hey, about uh, a parting be- shot for you? Before I do that, real quick Ray Diddy thing right here. Uh, he was on with us talking about Harold Carmichael previously, and I couldn't find that uh, soundbite immediately, but he was on WIP today, and this is what Ray Dinger had to say about Harold Carmichael and Dick Vermeil. I was just elated. I was, I was elated for Harold, and I was elated for Steve Sable. I mean, those are the two guys that I was really rooting for, and they both got in. The only thing that could have made this week better in my mind would have been if Dick Vermeil had gotten in. If he had gone three for three, to me that would have been just wonderful, and I think totally deserved. There you go. Agree 100%. Yep. And he mentioned right. Steve Sable, so we're happy about that. Parting shot, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's get it. Okay. Well, we didn't get to talk about the 76ers this evening, Bill, so let me say this. I'm concerned, not just because Joel Embiid is out with yet another injury and not the fact that, like the Flyers, they've struggled on the road this season, but they just don't seem like they're gelling. Al Horford seems lost much of the time, with or without Embiid on the floor with him. Maybe age is catching up with Big Al. Tobias Harris is inconsistent. The bench often gives them little. The team all too often has trouble closing out games. They led each of the last couple of contests by nine points at halftime, ended up losing both of them. And, yeah, Ben Simmons, in addition to still being afraid or unwilling to take an outside shot, pretty much disappeared for much of the second halves of those last two games. Some of that stuff is on the players, but a lot of it is on the coach, Brett Brown. I've been a supporter for a long time, but... I don't know. Right now, I'm getting the sense that our 10-9-8-76ers ers will have a new coach this summer, if not sooner. If not sooner. I think you're right. Hey, we went down that whole punch list to begin the show. We get, we hit all but two. Um, Odubel Herrera is no longer a Philly all the way in January. Baseball decision, and that's probably not a bad one. And the no shock. State football hazing accusations. We'll talk a little more about that next week since – they are just accusations. So uh, there'll be a whole lot more information on that come next Wednesday. So we'll hit up on that. Other than that, Mr. Jesko, we covered everything on that large list. We did. Busy, busy week, and we covered it all. So let's wrap it up, Bill. Uh, we have to because we've reached the top of the hour. So let's thank tonight's special guests, Bill Meltzer, Kevin Riley, Fred Hugo, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chetchesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 22nd at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a bunch of other places. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay.